Yeah. Yeah, give the Lord a hand for that. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Well, good morning, everybody. It is so good to be with you all. Um, my voice this morning is a little hoarse because uh, we, a few of us just got back. Well, we took a whole group from the House of Prayer slash Abide Campus Ministries to the Send in Grand Rapids last night. Um, and that took place in the Van Andel Arena. And there was about ten to 15,000 people, and probably 85% Gen Z. 85% Gen Z uh, worshiping Jesus and being commissioned not only to their neighborhoods and high schools, but to the nations. And so last night was just a testimony of what God is doing. And what's fantastic, if you guys don't know what the send is, it's a, a, a missions movement, and their tagline is war on inaction, right? Getting a generation to move, getting a generation to go and preach and proclaim the gospel, not only to their neighbors, but to the nations, right? And so um, uh, before, they've done the send events in Orlando, in Kansas City, and they've come at strategic prophetic points I think, um, in a generation, and now they're splitting up into four different regions, and the way that they chose these regions where they just kind of, they literally just kind of threw darts at a map, and Grand Rapids was one of those darts, and so, you know, it's, it's you, you look at some of these things, and you say, wow, God is really doing something in a generation, and it's right in our backyard, <laughs> like it is, it is like what God is doing is coming right to our front steps. And um, it's one of those things where I'm just alerted in my spirit and I just say, Lord, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us that, you know, it could, you know, the past sins have happened in Orlando, Kansas City, Norway, uh, Brazil, and all these things. And now it's right next door to where we are at. And so I just have faith, fresh faith. And I'm still believing it and I'm still proclaiming it. And I tell everybody, they say, Marvin, what is your dream? And I was like, my, my dream, one, is to be a lover of God, but two is to see Spartan Stadium filled with the preaching of the gospel, with the Breslin Center, you know, where we see we see the fire of God released on a whole generation. My faith is still at its peak, and I'm saying God is doing something. He's doing something that should bolster our hearts and say, okay, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, time, it's time to gear up and see what God's doing in a generation. And we get to be on the front lines. We get to do this thing, and I am just so excited. And so that's why my voice, you know, I may have a few voice cracks while I'm preaching today, and I'm going to probably more so talk to you all as opposed to, you know, how I do get up here and wave my fists around. And <laughs> um, but that's exactly what we're talking about today is the fire of God. Mm. It's the fire of God. You know, I know it's Labor Day weekend and, you know, we're chilling, barbecue or whatever it is, flying kites. I don't know what you all do on Labor Day weekend. <laughs> I'm not going to fly a kite. I got to go grade papers. But, <laughs> but we're talking about the fire of God today. And this message came out of, um, you know, this is, the, this, is the, this is the way that I love how messages come to me. It came out of the place of prayer. Just, just from me talking to God. And uh, for those of you all who don't know, like, I, I'm, a, I'm a high school teacher. I teach high school Bible. I told somebody this yesterday. Uh, it, yeah, and we're, you guys know how I do. Notes are passing around, and, you know, I, I, like, I like having notes. We're not going to cover everything on the notes, but this is just for you all to reference, track along while I'm preaching. 
um, if you would like to do so. Um, but over the summer, while I'm not teaching, or while I wasn't teaching, I was concrete cutting. And uh, concrete cutting, you know, when I, at the end of, you know, the school year, I was like, I want to work hard. And God said, I will answer that prayer for you. <laughs> and he gave, he opened the door, and he gave me concrete cutting. And uh, as opposed to, you know, being, it was like an intense workout, like 12 hours a day. That's kind of what it was like. Um, I was the grunt of the entire pack, right? So, you know, you go from, you know, teaching, you know, teaching high schoolers to being a grunt, you know, and you just, all you do is just do what they say. They say, go pick that up, go do this, go. I'm like, okay, I'll go do it. You know, because I have to, it's my job now. And so over the summer uh, with concrete cutting, we work with really big blades, right? And so we're working with really big blades and as we're cutting, you know, these trenches and things of that sort, there's this stuff called slurry that gets all over the floor and it's just basically mud. It's just concrete dust and water mixed up. And my job was to vacuum the slurry. <laughs> so while the guy was operating, you know, the saw, I just had to get a vacuum, a shop vac, and just, and just, you know, and so like, you know, just, and we're doing like uh, 1,100 square feet of this at midnight, right? This is a night job. And, all, and you know, I'm getting tired. I got slurry all over me. And this is just how this message came to me. This is, I'm, I'm explaining to you kind of the, the story of how I got here. Is as there's you know, and I imagine this is I'm like, man, if David was modern day, he'd probably be doing something like this. And so I kinda I kinda just stop because I'm tired. And I just say, there's just a prayer. I think the Holy Spirit inspired it. I just say, Lord, I want to be a theologian of your beauty. <laughs> like, like, you know, as I'm in a Walmart, you know, 1 a.m. and I'm sucking up slurry with the vacuum, I just say, Lord. I want to be a theologian of your beauty. And I think, and I think he, he, I mean, he definitely heard that because the next day as I was in my Bible reading plan and I'm going through the book of Exodus, I'm reading and at the end of Exodus, you know, where, where the tabernacles erected and, you know, Moses finished it and then the glory of God descends, there's a cloud that descends on the tabernacle. Many of us know this story. And when that cloud descends, there's this description, um, and I'm just going to turn there just for a brief moment. This is in Exodus 40. It's, I think, legitimately the last verse of Exodus 40. And I want you all to see this, too, so feel free to turn to Exodus 40, uh, chapter, yeah, Exodus 40, verse 38, or I'll, I'll read 36 and 38. And this is what it says. It says, the Israelites set out whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle throughout all the stages of their journey. If the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out until the day it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day. But this is, the, this is what stood out to me. It was just the Holy Spirit enlightening my eyes. It said, and there was a fire inside the cloud by night, visible to the entire house of Israel throughout all the stages of their journey. It's a simple phrase, but it's powerful when you actually see it for what it means. Because in my mind before reading this, I just imagined the tabernacle and the cloud by day just to be kind of like this mist and kind of, you know, cloud-like substance just you know, kind of floating around in the sky. But then it was like the Holy Spirit opened my eyes and said, no, there's a fire in the cloud. There, like, it, there's a fire in the cloud. And I said, oh, that's God right there. That's God 
in the cloud. And later on, um, and I have like 50 different verses that talk about God's fire, but it just opened my eyes to see that God is an all-consuming fire. That God, that, that, that God is, is not just a stale, distant, <laughs> the language I've been using this uh, with, with this kind of message, because the first time I preached this was at the Brookdale Retirement Home Center, the Assisted Living Center. And uh, it was, when we, when we look at God as a distant sky grandpa, <laughs> we're going to treat him as a distant sky grandpa. But when we see God as an all-consuming fire, it will affect and consume every single part of our lives. And that's what I'm talking about today is I'm, I really, what I'm talking about is an introduction to the beauty of who God is, that he is an all-consuming fire and that understanding and beholding God for who he is, is infinitely important, is infinitely important. Now I'm picking up in the introduction here, and then I'll say a prayer for us. And this is what it says in the notes if you're following along. It says, there's this guy, uh, wonderful theologian, A.W. Tozer, many of you all know him, know the name. He said this in his book called The Knowledge of the Holy. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Is that when we think about God and who he is and what he's like, it will tell, it will, it will, um, uh, it, it'll change the way that we interact with God. And this is actually something that I've been bringing my sophomores through as we've been preparing for retreat, is that the, the, the true Christian transformation doesn't just happen by the things that we do. The send is great. When, we, when, they, when they send us out, we, we got to be sent out. We have to go. How else will the world hear about the gospel? But true Christian transformation doesn't just happen by the things that we do, but the God that we behold. Is that Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 3, he said, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. And it's the God that we behold that brings the inward transformation. It's the fiery God in his emotions, in his passion, in his glory, in his fiery love for us that transforms our heart, that transforms the inside of us, right? Because we can get caught up in the things that we do, but real transformation and the, uh, the, the real impact that we have comes from the God that we behold. Because if we behold a mean, stingy God, we're going to become mean and stingy. But when we see a God that is on fire in love with us and passionate for us and did not withhold his son from us so that we could be redeemed, so that we can be in right relationship with him, then our lives are completely his without a second thought. And so this is, I, I, today I'm just bringing a message to you all. And we're not, like I said, we're not going to go over everything in these notes. Uh, but I want to bring to you all the God who is an all-consuming fire. 
And this isn't, just, this isn't just an Old Testament thing. This is a New Testament thing. Because the author of Hebrews, in uh, Hebrews 12, 29, he takes, he takes this and he says, Our God is an all-consuming fire. And so this is something that's not just, oh, this was back then in the Exodus, you know, where God manifested his glory in the tabernacle, in the temple. No, this is right now. God is an all-consuming fire, and he wants our lives to be consumed with his all-consuming fire. Amen? All right, so I'm going to say a prayer for us, <clears throat> and then we're going we're gonna to dive right in. So, Father, we come before you. In the name of your glorious son, Jesus, Lord, saying thank you. Thank you, Lord, for this revelation of who you are, that your heart towards us is not stale and cold, but it's fiery. Lord, that you love us with a love so much that you did not withhold your very own son from us, Lord, that we would be in right standing and right relationship because of his sacrifice on the cross. So, Lord, I'm asking that you would release, that you would open heaven, even now in these moments, that you would open heaven, God, and that you would release your fire on us and that you would impart to us a, a fire and a zeal to know you for who you are, God. That you would open our eyes by the spirit of wisdom and of revelation to see you for who you are. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So if you guys have a copy of the scriptures, turn with me to Exodus chapter 19. Because the primary passage I would even say the preeminent passage in the scriptures that talk about or depict God as an all-consuming fire is that moment when he when he's uh, after he's delivered the Israelites out of the hands of Pharaoh in Egypt, and now they're on this trek and they've come to Mount Sinai, right? And many of us know this story, but I want you all to pay attention to the details of what's going on here, and. Use your holy theological imaginations to put yourselves in this situation. Because what God is about to do is he's not just saying, you know, hey, guys, I'm just bringing you to the mountain so that we can, you know, hang out together so that, you know, all. but he's saying, I am about to come down on this mountain. I'm about to literally manifest my presence and my glory on this mountain and he's speaking to the Israelites. He's saying, you all need to get ready. <laughs> this isn't just a casual thing. He's saying, you all need to prepare yourselves for when I descend on the mountain. And check this out. So I'm reading verses 9 to 20 here. And this is the encounter. And this is about, a, this is, you know, probably 1.5 to 3 million people at this, at this mountain here, right? So there's a lot of people. So this is what it says, Exodus 19, 9 through 20. It says, the Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear when I speak with you and will always believe you. Moses reported the people's words to the Lord and the Lord told Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. They must wash their clothes and be prepared by the third day. For on the third day, the Lord uh, will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put boundaries for the people all around the mountain and say, be careful that you don't go up on the mountain or touch its base. Anyone who touches the mountain must be put to death. No hand may touch him. 
Instead, he will be stoned or shot with arrows and not live, whether animal or human. When the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they may go up the mountain. Then Moses came down from the mountain to the people and consecrated them, and they washed their clothes. He said to the people, be prepared by the third day. Do not have sexual relations with women. So now, I just want you to picture this, right? Moses has come down from this mountain, and he's saying, I have a word from the Lord for all of Israel. Get ready, because God's about to come. God's about to come on the mountain. Get ready and consecrate yourselves. In three days, God, you see this mountain right here? You know, I'm bringing, you know, I'm not really pointing to a mountain, but, you know, like I'm in the picture right now. He's like, you see this mountain right here? God's about to come down. Get ready. On the third day, he's coming. And so the people, they wash their clothes. You know, they get ready and all of these things. And now imagine this. You're, you know, we're, we're in the Israelite camp. We're sleeping, right? We're sleeping. And it says this in verse 16. It says, in the morning, right? This is your alarm clock. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's not just a ding-a-ding-a-ding, you know, all right, you know, slap the snooze. This is the horn of heaven <laughs> blaring your eardrums open. And now you're, wake, you're waking up. And this is what it says. On the third day when morning came, there was thunder and lightning, a thick cloud on the mountain, and a very loud trumpet sound so that all the people in the camp shuddered. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was completely enveloped in smoke because the Lord came down on it in fire. Its smoke went up like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain shook violently as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in the thunder. Right, so there's this moment where all of Israel is coming to the mountain. They wake up, and they, they, they shudder, and they come to the mountain, and they come out, and the sight that they see is not just a little bonfire with a little smoke rising up from the top of the mountain. The entire mountain is consumed with the fire of God's glory, and there's a dense cloud and smoke all around. There's lightning and thunder, and so you could probably see, like, in the dark, dense cloud, flashes of light, this rumbling, you hear a trumpet sound, and it's this awesome sight where the Israelites are saying, oh my God, this is Yahweh. This is the God that delivered us from Egypt. And now we're looking at him and we're meeting him. And this is the primary passage where the authors all throughout the scriptures talk about God being a consuming fire where his fire enveloped a whole mountain. And, you know, you've probably heard, if you've ran in charismatic circles before, people say the fire of God, the fire of God, or things of that sort. And so here's just some language of what that means. And I've been taking, whenever, I, whenever the Lord touches me with a particular subject or a particular study, and especially with my Bible reading plan, as many of you all know, I just read through the Bible continually, continually, continually. I get to have like a, 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 like a, a holistic scriptural understanding of what a particular subject means 
things because I'm just looking for it within every verse. And so right now, I'm, I'm in Daniel, and so I have about 50 or so verses that talk about the fire of God. And if you categorize them, it really boils down to about five facets when you're talking about God's fire. All right, so this is what I mean when we say God being an all-consuming fire. So this is Roman numeral two, the realm of God's fire. Is that number one is that the first dimension of God's fire is his very being and his presence, right? Is that we see this all throughout. You see this in Exodus. You see this in Ezekiel. You see this in Daniel. You see this in Revelation, And you see that in various visions through the prophets that God is described as having a deep red hue to the light of his being, right? When you look at Revelation 4, 1 to 3, um, it says says this, immediately I was in the spirit and there was a throne in heaven and the one seated there had the appearance one like jasper and carnelian. And jasper and carnelian are deep red, orangish red, fiery type stones. And so when John is up in the heavenly places, he's seeing God and he's saying he's like, he, I, I, I don't have the words to describe what he's like, but he's like a jasper and carnelian, that there's this deep red hue to the light of his being. And Daniel, in the book of Daniel, it says that there's a river of fire that proceeds from God's presence. And so God's very being and God's very presence is fire. That, 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 that God is not just a, a cold stone, you know, there's nothing going on. There's light that dances around him and his glory is beautiful. So the very core of God's being is this reddish, fiery, orange kind of hue to it. And it makes sense that when he descends down in the natural, that he looks like a fire. Because in the heavenly places, the core of his very being is this reddish, orangish, fiery hue. Like if we were to take a, you know, a nice trip up to the third heaven, and we put our eyes on God, we would see this glorious light orangish red hue to the splendor of his being. And so his very being and his very presence is fire. It's fire. It's fire that when we step, if you have a cold, hard heart to God, step in his presence because he's fire. (laughs) He's fire. That if your heart is cold and is frozen to God, all you have to do is step in his presence Because he's fire. He's fire. So that's the first dynamic. That's the first facet of God's, the realm of God's fire. But then also God's, the the color, you know, the color of his, uh, the the light of his being is this reddish, orangish, fiery hue. But it's also synonymous with the light of his glory. With the light of his glory, you can't separate God's glory from his being. That he emanates and radiates the light of this fire, the light of this fiery um, hue and this uh, this reddish hue, right? So we see, um, you know, that the fire of God's glory is connected. The God's glory and his fire are connected here. 
Um, because when he descends in Solomon's temple, fire comes at the same time, right? And, and so all the Israelites, this is what it says in 2 Chronicles 7. It says, all the Israelites were watching when the fire descended and the glory of the Lord came on the temple. They bowed down to the pavement and they began to worship him. And this is the, this is the glorious thing. Is This is what I've noticed is that those angels and the seraphim and the cherubim that are around God's uh, throne, do you know what a seraph means? It means the burning ones. Because they're around God's throne, do you think they just caught fire because they just, just got ignited somehow? No, it's because they're in the presence of a fiery God. <laughs> they're in the presence of a fiery God. And so these beings are on, on fire with glory and fi on fire with the light of God's being because he's radiating fiery glory out from him. And, you know, the Apostle Paul, he talks about how God dwells in unapproachable light, that there's this light that emanates out of God, right? This is his glory. But then also, this is paragraph C, that the glory of God's fiery being insinuates that he is holy, that he is holy, that there is absolutely no darkness in God at all, at all. It's hard for us to think about that. It's hard for us to comprehend that. But there is absolutely no darkness, no sin in God at all, is that he is completely and utterly holy. Right, And so we see that when Adab and Abihu, <laughs> when they tried to do their, their own thing, you know, they couldn't. And the fire of God's holiness leapt out on them, and they were charred and killed. <laughs> right? Remember that story in Leviticus 10? This is what it says. It says, because, you know, they brought in, um, what is it, uh, the, um, you know, the... Yeah, the yeah the incense, yeah yeah yeah, uncensored or un, uh, you know the the you know yeah the yeah there's a there's a word that I'm looking for but I can't find it, um, but they brought the incense before the Lord that they were not supposed to bring. It was out of bounds for them to bring this particular incense to the Lord, and they approached him lackadaisically. And what they did is when they brought that incense to the Lord, what ended up happening is that the fire of his holiness leapt out at them and, uh, and, and killed them. And this is what it says in Leviticus 10 uh, verses 1 through 3. It says, then the fire came from the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. He said, I will demonstrate my holiness to those who are near me is that there is fire to God's holiness. There is fire to his holiness. That not only is this about his being, the light and the, 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 uh, the fire of his being and the fire of his glory, but it means that God is absolutely holy. Absolutely holy. But this is the core and the central facet to God's fire. Is that central to the revelation of God's fire is his jealous love. <laughs> central to the revelation of God's fire is his jealous love. You see, I asked my uh, students this past week, 
I said, you know, a lot of us, we can say that God loves us, but when it comes to us personally, how does God feel about you? When you you look at your life and when you think about your life, what will you say God feels about you specifically? And the truth of the matter is this, is that the very flame of God is his holy, jealous love, yes, for the world, but for you. (laughs) Is that he is jealous for you. He desires everything of you, of who you are. He loves you for who you are. Right, so central to the revelation of God's fire is his jealous love, desirous for our wholehearted affection. Right. In Song of Solomon 8.6, so, uh, Solomon says, or, you know, in you interpreting this, you know, through what Jesus is saying to the church, set me as a seal upon your heart. It says, for love is as strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. It says its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. The very flame that dances in God's heart is this all-consuming, passionate, jealous love for you, for your affections, for your attention, for your a love for him, that the very flame of God is not his wrath where it's poured out, you know, but that's a part of it. But the very flame of God's heart is his passionate, zealous, jealous love for who you are, for your heart, for your affections. And the, at, at the gospel's core, At the core of the gospel is a God that is so passionate and so consumed with love that he would not spare his only son so that you could be redeemed, so that I could be redeemed, so that my sins would be washed away, so that your sins would be washed away, so that we could be in right relationship with God and so that we could love him and that our hearts would be renewed, that we would be a new creation and that we would say, thank you, Lord, hallelujah, I am you yours <laughs> that that why we've been saved so that we can love God and so that we can receive his love and understand and enjoy one another for all of eternity we've been saved because the Lord loves us that's the core of the flame of his heart so when we're talking about God as an all-consuming fire the flame of God's love what we're talking about is his jealousy for us And that when we come into a covenant with him, that's what the New Testament is all about. When we come into a covenant with him, that we are like, I mean, it's it's a covenant. And so he has the right to be jealous for our affection when we're in a covenant with him. (laughs) And so he's a a jealous God on fire for our uh, love and affection. And the last facet here in the realm of God's fire is his judgments. We can't pass this over. We can't skip over this, right? Is that there is a real judgmental dimension of God's fire. Because this is the way. Now, God's judgments 
aren't always his wrath and they're not always bad, right? But his judgments reveal, expose his judgments, um, but his judgments also, uh, they test, they purify, but they also condemn and destroy. Part of God's judgments, part of God's fire is his judgments, right? When we, when, when you put in, you know, the Apostle Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, when we, when we stand before God, and you know, like, we never, we, we don't know when our last day is going to be, right? And in a moment, boom, we can be standing before this all-consuming fire. That's real. <laughs> that's real. It's appointed for man to die once and then go see God. <laughs> like, that, that's a real thing. And when we go and see God, when we, when we die and we go and see God, we are going to stand before an all-consuming fire. And that means that our life will be caught up in that flame, and what was rooted in Jesus will remain, and what wasn't won't. And so our lives are going to pass through the fire of God's judgments. Now, for those of us who are saved, you know, we're walking, we're passing through that fire, and it's to reveal the beauty of our life in Jesus. But for those of us who are not in Christ, that flame and that fire condemns to another fiery dimension, right? Because the, the antithetical culmination of God's judgments, there's only two places. You got at the end of the age, you have the lake of fire and you have the new Jerusalem. The lake of fire is the ultimate condemnation for those who turn their back on the Lord. And then the new Jerusalem is the glorious inheritance and reward of those who have placed their faith in Jesus. The lake of fire is God's wrath forever and ever and ever. And the new Jerusalem is going to be lit ablaze with the glory of God and the light of his being. It says that there will be no need of sun or moon or any sort of light source because the lamb will be the light of the new Jerusalem. And do you know that Jesus is on fire? He is on fire and that his glory will radiate and it will permeate the new Jerusalem so much so that we won't even need the sun. We won't even need the sun because he is on fire. <laughs> and so the realm of God's fire is his being, his glory, his holiness, his love, and his judgments. All right, give me a wave if this makes sense. It's making sense. All right. All right, this is just, now you may be saying, okay, that's a part of who God is. But what does this have to do with my life? <laughs> what, 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 how does this affect the way that I live? And go ahead and flip to the next page. And I'm not going to go through all of this. But these are just some application points here on how this affects our lives. And these correlate actually with the five points. So uh, paragraph A under Roman numeral three correlates with uh, paragraph A of Roman numeral two. So they kind of go back and forth. So there's five facets of God's fire, five ways that it affects our life, and they both correlate back and forth in the notes. And so the first way, this is about living a life of fire. Right? We understand God's fire but how do we live a life that's on fire for the Lord, right? Because I think sometimes people get, um, you know, caught up in 
where, you know, it's easy to go to events like The Send, and somebody goes out, and they do all of these things for God, and people are like, man, that person's on fire for God, you know? And and then, you know, on well, on the inside, their heart may be the most distant, or they're just trying to, you know, just kind of catch up and, like, you know, uh, do something in just in zeal, an outward zeal than actually having an inward fire for the for the Lord. And so when we actually are talking about being on fire for the Lord, I'm not just talking about the things that we do, but I'm talking about who we are on in on the inside of us. Right? What is your inward life looking like? What is the stuff that's going on in your heart? And so when we see God in the fire of his being, Right. The first way, the, the, the way that we respond is just by beholding. <laughs> you don't got to do anything, but just look at him. <laughs> just look at God. And the way that that happens is through meditation. Right. Is the way that we see God is just by studying the scriptures, seeing the descriptions of God, looking at his emotions, looking at the way that he moves, looking, go through the prophets and see all of the things that come from the Lord's heart and the things that he says through the prophets. You just just look at God, spend time to meditate on his attributes, Re, uh, read books that talk about the knowledge of God. Right. You have A.W. Tozer. You have. Um, uh, J.I. Packer, you know, all of these men of God and women of God, Madame Guillon, where they're, where they're talking about, you know, beholding God in the place of prayer, looking at him, having an open heart, right, like Mary of Bethany. All you got to do is just look at him because it is in our looking, it is in our beholding that we're transformed. It's in our seeing him for who he actually is that we're changed on the inside of us, that our hearts of stone become hearts of flesh, that our frozen hearts become hearts that are on fire. And all, it, all, it, all, it, all that needs to take place, really, the beginning point is just beholding God for who he is. So we behold him. The second, the second uh, way that we respond is that when we notice, when we see, the, when we understand the light of God's glory is that worship flows from our hearts. The way that we bless God, the way that we praise him, the way that we minister to him flows out from our hearts because God doesn't just want us to worship out of obligation. He wants us to worship from fascination. He wants us to worship not just because it's the cool thing to do and you can just go to a big event and just worship the Lord. He wants us to worship him out of God, you're beautiful. Oh, hallelujah, you're beautiful. Like he wants that to flow from our hearts, not just I have to be here because I have to be here, right? It's, it's this, it's this God, you're beautiful, and I want to know you. Lord, would you impart more of your beauty to my heart? Would you fan the flame of love on the inside of me so that I can see your beauty? Lord, would you release your fire on the inside of me, Lord, so that I can see you in a way that I haven't seen you before? It's this worship that flows from the heart. He wants us to be fascinated with who he is. I had a student one time say, just randomly, he was like, you know, Worshiping in heaven sounds really boring. To worship God forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, what else are we going to do? Like, it, that just sounds boring to me. 
And I was thinking about it this morning, uh, just in preparation of this. I'm like, you want to know why worship in heaven sounds boring to you? Because you are beholding a boring God in your heart. <laughs> God is fascinating. He is not boring. It's because we can't see him for who he is. If we could see God for who he is, we would never get tired of worship. If we could see God for who he is, we would never get exhausted, maybe in our flesh, but our spirits would be alive. It's because the eyes of our heart are so dim that we can't see God for who he is, that's why worship in heaven sounds boring all the time. But when the eyes and the veil is taken back and we see God just a little bit incrementally for who he is, there's a deeper worship that comes on the inside of us and we get fascinated. We get fascinated with who God is. Oh my goodness. Uh, okay, I'm just touching these last few points and I'm going to be done. I'm going to be done because you guys got me next week too. <laughs> but also holiness is another facet of the way that we live. When we behold God in the fire of his holiness, we will be on fire for holiness as well. We'll get, that, we'll get that fire in our eyes and we'll say, I don't want to look at anything. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to think anything. I don't want to feel anything that is incongruent with the gospel and the cross of Jesus Christ. Is that when we see the fire of God and when we behold him, is that holiness isn't just the, oh, you know, the, the pleasure stomper. You know, where it's like, oh, you can't, you can't have fun when you're a Christian, you can, it is the pathway to pleasure. <laughs> Holiness is the pathway to pleasure. It is, it, is, it is the highest pleasure that we can get when our spirits are fascinated with the fire of God. When we behold him for who he is, then we will say, I don't want to compromise my eyes. I don't want to compromise my heart. I don't want to compromise my mind to think about things that are below the glory of God who is in heaven right now. That's the fire of holiness there. It's the pathway to pleasure. <laughs> All right. And then when we talk about God being a fiery God, a jealous God who's on fire in love, is that when we see him in his emotion and his love for us, it ignites something on the inside of us. It ignites him, the way that he feels about us. I, even, I, I don't even understand this, really. Like, you know, I listen to Mike Bigel a lot, and he's like, you know, go through the scriptures and, you know, mark out the emotions of God. I'm, I'm, just, I'm a real novice in all of that. Like, I'm like, I don't know where to begin. I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. But I am beginning to incrementally understand that God really likes me. <laughs> like, 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 you know, like, like and he, you can say the same thing. God really likes you. Like, it's not just he tolerates me, you know, like, oh, Marvin, you know, yeah, there you go again, you know. There, they, you know, sometimes we feel that way. Oh, man, there goes that guy again, you know. He's, you know, look, you know, he's cute and, you know, just doing his thing, you know, like, oh, there he goes, and then stumbling again all that time, you know. I'm like, no, 
I am beginning to step into the revelation that, Lord, even though you know my heart, that I, I, you know I'm wholehearted, that I'm in this thing. And even though I may mess up and stumble sometimes, and I may, I, may, I, I may not see myself the way that you see me fully, but I'm beginning to understand that he likes me. I'm beginning to understand that he really loves me. <laughs> I'm beginning to under, and my heart is beginning to be soft and tender where I say, oh, God. Oh, God, like, oh, God, I love you so much. <laughs> like, when I begin to understand the way that he feels about me and that he's desirous and fiery, jealous for who I am, it ignites something on the inside of us. It ignites something on the inside of us. And then lastly is this, is that correlating with God's judgments, right? That when we live, we ought to live in a holy fear of the Lord. <laughs> that our understanding that our lives will pass through the fire of God, that our lives will be judged, and that God shows no partiality when he judges, even though, yes, he loves me, but the stuff that wasn't rooted in Jesus, he's going to expose. And the stuff I'm going to stand before the Lord, and I am going to have to give an account of the way that I lived. I am going to have to give an account by the way that I preached, by the way that I, I teach during my, the school days. When I interact with my friends, I will have to give an account at the end of my life. Yes, God loves me, and love casts out fear of condemnation, right? But walking through the fire of God and him seeing my life for what it is, that's a real thing. And it should check our motives, and it should check the way that we live before the Lord. And so with that, I want to just more so give a declaration, is that God wants his all-consuming fire on the inside of you. <laughs> is that this isn't just something that's ethereal. This isn't just something that's just, let's just talk about this. God wants his fire inside of you. He doesn't just want you just to sit there, well, okay, that's nice to hear this message. He actually wants this burning on the inside of us so that we too can become burning ones. So that our eyes and our hearts and our minds and our wills would be lit ablaze for the glory of God. So that we would know him for who he is. And out of that, our, li out of, out of that, our lives would flow a life of fire. And so that when we leave this earth, we don't leave it just cold and jaded and, you know, going up to heaven with our arms crossed, <laughs> you know, but that we, would, we, that, we would, that we would leave and we would stand before the Lord and we would say, Lord, my life and my heart has been ablaze and on fire for you. And so my prayer has been, Lord, release your all-consuming fire on the inside of me. I want everything that you could give me. I want, every, I want your fire to be released on the inside of me because he wants us to be consumed with his love. He wants us to be consumed with his, uh, with his glory, with the understanding of his holiness and his judgments and his being. Amen? Amen. All right, I'm going to invite you all to stand. And this is, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that there are so many 
other ways that you could talk about the fire of God. But I just want to pray. I just want to pray that the Lord would release his fire on the inside of us. That we wouldn't just be caught up in just natural zeal, but that the life that we live would come from a deep place with our hearts burning for God. That our hearts would burn, that it would be something that's deep on the inside of us, at the core of who we are, the core of our being, that we would be lit ablaze for the glory and the fire of God. So I'm going to say a prayer, and you can position yourself any which way that's comfortable with your hands up, with your hands up. I'm just going to pray and just ask the Lord to breathe on our hearts, that he would release his fire on us. So, Lord, I'm asking, even now, in the name of Jesus, in the name of your beautiful son, Jesus, God, we recognize you are in all-consuming fire, that your Father, that your Jehovah Rapha, Lord, that you are a consuming fire. You are a consuming fire, God. And, Lord, we're asking, would you release your fire on the inside of us? Lord, our hearts are open, Lord, that we would burn for you, that we would burn on the inside, Lord, that it would be deep within our being, that it would be the core of our being, this flame that's burning on the inside of us. So God, I'm asking even now, would you release fire? Would you release fire, Lord? Something deeper, Lord. Holy Spirit, we're asking that you, according to Romans 5, 5, that you would release the fire of God's love on the inside of our hearts. That our hearts would not be cold and stony, but that we would have a heart of flesh and a tender heart towards you, God. So, Lord, would you thaw out our frozen hearts? Would you enlighten our darkened hearts to see you for who you are? Lord, a spirit of wisdom and of revelation, release right now, Lord. Would you release your fire, God? Just even say it in your, in your, just say it to him. If this is something that you want, just ask him for it. Just ask him for it. Ask him for an impartation of his fire. Just ask him for it. Just ask him for it. Lord, we want your fire.